We love you. Yes, hip-hop. sir. What's good? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain, man. Can't complain. You got the nice camera going on over there, too? 4K? Just a laptop. Okay, okay. That's a, that, Yo, you got a pretty crisp camera going on over there, man. Yeah, man. Yo, I'll try, th- to, try to be semi-professional. Yeah, man. And, you know, thank you for doing this quick fast before we even get into this, man. I Absolutely. really appreciate this. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of when you guys were doing the Drink Champs um, quarantine version. And you had the multiple right. cameras going on on different angles. That was very nice touch. Same setup. And we would just have our camera crew go to each of us, uh, send a couple cameras to catch the the behind the scenes angles. Um, but this is the, the same setup we were doing. I was doing, you know, my uh, quarantine champs. Dope, dope, dope. Well, listen, let's, let's get into it. You know what I mean? I know we have let's limited go. time. We got the legend, you know what I'm saying? Um, legendary Miami DJ um connector of different people in the culture okay because you're not just a dj you know what i'm saying executive producer filmmaker podcast host dj efn in the mother effing building you know what i'm saying what's going on man thank you for having me thank you and and you know what let me let me do this correctly dj eric fernando narciandi in the building right right (laughs) the full-on full-on government yeah 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 listen um there's something that I always, when I'm watching Drink Champs, okay, and I'm watching people talk about Drink Champs, I'm wondering if this bothers you. DJ mm-hmm. Effin. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm human. Of course, you want people to say your name right. But ever since I've been doing mixtapes in the in the early 90s, and, uh, you know, people would just, they, they just read it that way. They would say Effin. People would beg me to put dots between the, the the letters, put hyphens. And I'm like, nah, man, it doesn't look as aesthetically good. So I've been hearing that forever. And I mean, there's people that know me, know me yeah, that can't help themselves, but say effing. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I don't, I, don't, I don't, yeah. It's, it, you know, and, and on Dream Champs is hilarious because you hear me say my name right in front of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you say effing. So, I mean, whatever. I'm used to it. Look, man, I come from a place where, I'm just happy to be here. Um, I'm happy to contribute to the culture. And the fact that people are trying to say my name, man, yeah. it's a win for me. That's the way I look at it. Nah, man, it, it, you're right. And that's the blessing. <laughs> let me let me make sure my Bluetooth is off here quick, fast as well. Um, let's go into, um, I want to be going a little bit all over the place. I want to do a little bit of a sure. history. And, you know, we're, but we're both podcasters here, so we can talk shop maybe a little bit. Right. Absolutely. Recently, there was reported that you guys got um, drink champs being you guys, the the Warner deal. Mm-hmm. So can you explain, because you guys have revolt, you have title, you have a few different things going on. So how does that come into play? Yeah, that's one of the things I'm most proud of in terms of what I think drink champs has accomplished specifically, I would say for podcasts, but I can't speak for all genres. I only know more about the hip hop podcasting world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that we've definitely trailblazed for hip hop podcasts, if not all podcasts, yeah, in the t- in the types of deals that that you can get as a podcaster, and with this specific deal, um, we have our our different ways that we distribute the content partitioned in different deals. So Revolt is a they're they're a television deal. We have a, a version, a shorter version of the show that comes out on TV on regular linear TV, and yep. then they put it out on digital, which is YouTube. 
um, they they control the YouTube side of it. So that's our our visual deal. Let's call that. Mm-hmm. And then we've had our our audio side, which is you know the traditional podcast, um, and that's always had its own deal. And then at one point, like you mentioned, title we're no longer title. We had a subscription version, so we had three deals at one time. Wow! Because title was subscription, and the the traditional um, the audio deals that you would get, they sell ads. So you could do, we could do the title subscription deal because they're not selling ads. Right. And then we could have the other deal. So we were with iHeart as of recently with Black Effect, Charlamagne, they got shout out to them. They were amazing. They're great. We didn't leave them because of anything wrong. We just got a great offer. Um, and, and, you know, nobody could beat the offer and it was with Warner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basically it's just an audio, straightforward audio deal. But what's cool about this deal that sets again is is a game changer i think for everybody is that in this deal there's layers where they want to exploit more like more of the brand they want to give us opportunities within the big warner machine interesting so whether it's television and tv production whether it's it's merchandising through them whether it's a, a record label through them they are open and want to actively that's like a part of the deal i mean yeah. obviously the regular podcast has to work first, you know, like we're not going to come out the gate doing all these different things, but that's a part of the deal. And and it's interesting because they're a record company, right? Essentially. Right, right. Well, I mean, they're a multimedia yes. company. They do film and everything else. Yeah, yeah. But is that like a, a new thing? Like, are you guys trailblazers as far as like, you know, multimedia companies or, you know, people who are known for being record companies getting into the podcasting game? Well, I'll tell you who was already there was Rap Radar. Oh, yeah. The thing is, is that a lot of these companies create subdivisions that you won't know that it's straight up Warner. Like the, the name of the company that's doing podcasting for Warner's Interval Presents. That's okay. the name of the company. Um, when we were with CBS, that was our first distributor. Their subsidiary that cre- that did all the podcasting was called, oh, man, I forget now. I forget the name, but it, it was, but it wasn't CBS. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't CBS radio. Yeah. No, that's, that's super interesting, man. I, I, I feel that it's educational also for a lot of the people who watch both of our networks who are up and coming podcasters as well. Right. And right. you know, um, you've mentioned Toronto multiple times in your podcast. Like when, when the, um, the city Toronto comes up, you're like quick, you'll throw out some names. You'll be like Carnell, Shaw Claire. And I'm just like, look at this. This is a real <laughs> hip hop head. What's your connection to the, to Toronto? Like, have you been here a few times back in the days? I, I mean, I've definitely been there. Um, I, I love the city. I've interacted with with several artists. The thing for me, though, being that I'm from Miami uh, via Los Angeles, I was born in Los Angeles, so mm-hmm. I, and I still have family there. So I have roots in LA, the West Coast. I'm growing up in the, in the South in Miami specifically. And so my hip hop tastes are, are, are vast. Like I just, I, I never looked at hip hop as a regional thing. Like I'm only going to listen to this. If they from this area, from my area Yeah. to me, hip hop was a thing. Like if it's dope, it's dope. And I didn't have to know first where you were from. I just needed to know first that you were dope. Mm-hmm. And then if where you were from was something different, that was better to me like you know to find out someone was from some obscure city over in the united states like oh damn they got they got lmcs and that was the thing like i would hear these mcs that were from canada and i didn't know they were canadian at first yeah you know until until i started hearing more things being said 
Um, and, and that's how it was, man. And, and, I, and I actually met Cardinal in, uh, in Jamaica during one of the, how can I be down conventions? That was the first time we had a run in with each other and he was nice. passing out his white label at the time. Uh, actually, I think I took a picture and, sh- and, and posted it and showed it to him. But, um, that's where I met him and, and he became one of my favorite MCs of all time. Like, I think, I think he's one of the illest to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being from Miami also I have a lot of Caribbean influence. So I, I really, you know, I really dig the whole Caribbean side of things, you know, you know, having the Patois in there and all that stuff. So, so, you know, and, and we grew up and, and this is the era of like the nineties, any hip hop head from like the early nineties always was around reggae and dance hall because the two, like when you went to a party or a club, it was hip hop, reggae and dance hall. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like yeah. they were hand in hand. So you, even if you wasn't trying to be a fan of that, like you became a fan of that because that's where you would find hip hop. And I, and I was well-versed as a DJ in dance hall, just as much as I, I was in hip hop. Nice. And, and, you know, you mentioned LA and, and Miami, right? You, you moved mm-hmm. um, from LA relatively like around 11 years old, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like finally stayed. I, I came back and forth, but I finally stayed around that time. Yeah. So why the move? It was, my parents, they got divorced. They got separated when I was really young. Mm-hmm. My dad, he moved to, to Miami. I, I joke around um, saying, you know, if anybody's seen like the documentaries of Cocaine Cowboys about Miami in the 80s, you know, my family were Cuban. So my dad, is a, he was a Vietnam veteran, war veteran, Marine. Um, and then he went to a accounting school, like through the GI Bill or whatever they had. And then when my parents got separated, he came to Miami in the heydays of the 80s and and quickly, you know, got access to capital and was doing things. So yeah. you know, I like to say he's, you know, I know that he was up to some shady stuff, but he was he was definitely like the business dude doing things. And so he moved out here um, and then my parents tried to work it out. So my mom would come over and they try to work it out. But, you know, it wasn't going to work. And we go. That's why I said we would go back and forth. And then finally, my mom just stayed out here because it was just like those moves. Imagine it, especially back then, like to do those big moves, you know, from one coast to the other. Yeah. It just got tiring. So my mom just, we just stuck it out out here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you became um, a staple in Miami over time, right? Like maybe around 2000 or not 2000, but around the time you were 17, you started your own business or your own label, Crazy Hood, right? Like in high school. Right. You in 93, we, we, we're, we're celebrating our 30 years as a crew and as a company. So yes. yeah, I had my crew. And we were graduating high school, 93. And I'm like, damn, what do I want to do in my life? And I just, the only thing I had a passion for was for hip hop. Like mm-hmm. that was my passion. And I just couldn't see myself doing anything, you know, with any intention if I didn't have passion for it. So I was like, look, man, like what I thought was dope about hip hop at the time is that it was still early on in hip hop. I mean, gra- granted, New York and different places is big. Atlanta's popping, but I'm saying as a as, as a national and global scene, it's still early. And then locally in Miami, super early in terms of like we didn't have an industry. We didn't have a lot of things going on um, and and not a lot of identity, too. So I was like, yo, I you know, I think this is a something that we can get in there and we can contribute to the local scene. That was our my goal in creating my company. Let's just contribute to this local scene and let's try to make the city, you know, put on for the city, make the city proud. And that was the goal in 93. Yeah. And, and, you know, you guys, that company evolved, like you guys, 
It turned into a clothing store. There was a whole bunch of different iterations of Crazy Hood. Can you give us a little bit of the history of Crazy Hood as it evolved? Yeah, I mean, when we started, there was no necessary, like, there was no game plan other than what we, what our, our mission statement was, which mm-hmm. is to put on for the city. So we didn't have any money. We were broke kids. Um, you know, my friends was hustling and we were just doing whatever we could. I had a single, you know, my mom's single mother, like we didn't have no papers. It was no capital, nothing we could do. But so the first thing we did is we threw a, a party because in that time it's just to go somewhere where you could hear hip hop was a big deal. Yeah. So we ended up, we ended up throwing this party and it was big around the city. It actually, it got shot up some, some like local gang members with some other local crew gotten, gotten, you know, and beef and, and it got shot up and the cops were like, yo, if we ever see this, crazy hood thing on a flyer again we're shutting you down immediately damn but whatever lucky to say you know we kept it moving from that point on but you know the goal was at that point to make music to put together a group to to create like an independent record label or get a deal for the for the group and we did all of that early on but what i realized quickly and luckily that it was quickly is that that pipe dream of like, yo, we're going we gonna to go in the studio. We're going to make a record. We're going to press up the record. We're going to go platinum. We made it. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I realized that if we were going to stay in this lane and try to do anything hip hop related, anything music related, we needed to diversify. And that's where all these different ideas were. We're like, all right, let's do this store. You know, we, we, we Miami and, and especially where we were at, we needed like a nice, a good hip hop. So we had a couple, but we needed more little spots where, you know, kids could go and they could buy the the spray can tips. They could buy the mixtapes. They could buy vinyl. They could buy the gear that wasn't available easily at the time. You yeah. know, so we did that. And then after that, we started a marketing company and and consulting. And, and you know, I just kept growing the branches of this tree to keep funding the, the dream to stay in it, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what it was all about. And, 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 and you started even with the management and stuff like that too. Like you right. early in the game, like you managed a Miami group named Mayday. Yeah. Mayday. I mean, up to, up to recently too, I actually stopped managing them because I got so crazy with drink champs. Mm-hmm. But, uh, as a, you know, in recent years, we got Mayday signed to tech nine, uh, his record label, strange music. Yep. And, and I had, I had Cardinal do a joint with, the, with them, which is dope. And I had a bunch of people, uh, black thought did a joint with them. And, all kinds of artists. And so, yeah, Mayday, my artist Garcia, who's now a big uh, music and, and video director. Um, and, you know, I managed all my artists. I managed them. I managed, I did a stint managing kind of Nori for a while too. Mm-hmm. I managed and tour DJed at the same time. Yeah. That's, I, I guess, that's how you guys started getting closer, um, which you've eventually evolved into Drink Champs. Yeah. I mean, that that, that was part of the evolution. We met, me as a mixtape DJ, him coming into Miami, promoting. He was doing a, a a promo, the promo tour for Capone Noriega, the CNN, the War Report. Okay. And Capone Capone was locked up. This is like '97. I had my store Crazy Goods, and at that time, the internet wasn't really a place where you promoted things. You had to go physically to like stores, like record stores or clothing stores. So people could, you could tell me, I'm going to be in town, be here tonight, you know? Yeah. And that's what we did. He, he, the promoter brought him through my store and we connected and, and I had a, a four track that I had artists do uh, freestyles for my mixtapes. Four track. And so <laughs> I had him, I had him do a freestyle 
he killed it. And I already, you know, I already knew about, about Capone and Noriega and Nori. So, so we was already ahead of it and, and he did the freestyles and we just, we, we connected, bro. And it was, it was crazy. We, we, you know, there was something there that we just connected. And then I did his first show, his first solo show in Miami. I promote, I brought him down mm -hmm. um, for the NORE album. And then they hired me to do the show for Capone when he got out of prison the the Pone Home show. Yeah. I did that for them in Miami. So like, you know, we it just kept, you know, the the relationship kept growing and growing. Oh, that's dope, man. And even like before Drink Champs started, like in 2012, you you started a movement, right? <laughs> you went to Cuba and right. from that Cuba from that trip to Cuba, you started the come Ho coming home series. So, right. so can you tell us about that series? Yeah, um I mean, look, around that time that you're you're describing, you know, I felt like like there was a there was a part of me that was like jaded by the industry. You know, I'm heavily involved, obviously, on terms of like the industry, but I by no means do I like the industry in terms of what I feel it does to the culture, you know? Mm. So I was I was getting jaded. I was kind of turned off. I wasn't feeling inspired anymore. I felt like, you know, hip hop kind of got hijacked by the money-making machine and, 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 and was getting, you know, dumbed down and watered down and perverted. And so I was kind of down. And so between managing Mayday, which kind of was a, a different a change for me because they were like a hip hop band, yeah. kind of like, you know, like the roots in a sense, that was different. And then I turned my eyes on, on, on my roots and say, man, I, you know, I want to go to Cuba because it was kind of like taboo for if you're if you know the Cuban community, especially the Cuban community in Miami, very diehard right wingers that you don't go to Cuba. It's communist. If you spend money there, you're communist. Like you just don't do it. Wow. And I was like, man, I want to do it. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, let too much time pass and not seek the Cuba that my parents might have been in, you know, like the time capsule that it was in. So I was like, I want to go to Cuba. And then when I finally decided I was going to go, I wanted to connect with the hip hop heads in Cuba. Cause I heard, I already had, had heard about a dope hip hop scene in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We put together this amateur film. I had never done a film. Uh, me and my boy Garcia, we went out there and we came back, we put this film together and, and bro, we, we created magic and, and, and it, and it like reignited my passion for hip hop, believe it or not. And, and that's what every film has done. Like every time I go to these different countries to, to connect with the, the hip hop scene, and kind of see it at its at its at its basics at its roots as to where we started it reinvigorates me man and reminds me why you know i have such a passion for the culture oh that's a blessing man and and even with like drink champs in the early stages right can you give us like a little bit of a a, a preview of like how the cbs beginnings were because i was listening from back then like from episode one Right. And Fat Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've heard how the sound evolved and everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, what right. was it like when you guys decided, OK, we're first we're going to do a podcast and like you, you connected with CBS like from the jump. dude. Well, remember, I don't know if you remember or if you ever heard or saw anything, but we had a show on Sirius uh, on XM radio before mm -hmm. they even merged. And then Sirius XM. And we had a weekly show in like. Don't hold me to these dates, but it was around 2008, something like that. Right, right. right. I, I never heard, and, but I've heard you talk about it in interviews. Yes. Yeah, it was called Militainment Crazy Raw Radio. Mm. I always like to say Nori named it that. So, <laughs> South all right. He wanted to put he wanted to put everybody's titles in the in the title. So so we ha we used to do that out of my studios 
and we did it weekly. It was an hour show. We had a, a, my boy DJ Kenna spinning a, a set, and it looked and sounded just like Drink Champs. It was Drink Champs before Drink Champs. We stopped doing that. Nori went on tour. I went on tour with with Mayday, and we just got busy doing things that actually were bringing in revenue. Yeah, like, that show didn't didn't make us money. So I remember I was like, damn man, I want to do something just like that, man. It was a lot of fun doing it. And my boy, uh, his name is Godfrey. He had this podcast called Gamer Tag Radio. It was like a hip hop gaming podcast, and it's been around forever. And he always told me, man, you should do that as a podcast. What you and Nori was doing should be a podcast. Long story short, different people were hitting us up every year, like, yo, y'all, y'all want to do a podcast? And Nori didn't really know what a podcast was. I would tell Nori, he's like, I don't know about that. You know, it's like, like some internet nerd shit. And so, so it took me forever to kind of convince him. And then I finally was able to convince him. And my, that same homie, Godfrey, he had got distribution through CBS radio. And he's like, yo, you want me to, to connect you? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, CBS radio was like, well, you need to do two pilot episodes, mm -hmm. you know, at least two for us to see what the concept is. We did uh, Fat Joe and Kenny Anderson. Kenny Anderson was actually the first one we, we recorded. And Fat Joe was the second day. And we turned those in and they were like, yo, this is this is great. And so they offered us a deal. And then besides all of that that I'm telling you, the term drink champs was something we were saying in the studio in the early 2000s. Um, me and my crew, we could, you know, if you couldn't handle your liquor, we were big drinkers. That was a, that's always been a thing. It was never a gimmick. You know, I don't advocate for people to be drunks or drink or or destroy their livers. I really don't. Yeah. It was something we did. It was legit. This is what we did. We would drink. You know, in, in the studio, we were drinking all the time. And if you couldn't handle your liquor, we would say you're not a drink champ. Uh, that was what we would say to each other. We even have hashtags from early social media saying drink champ, you know. Um, and so I remember I loved the way that sounded. And I was like, man, that could be anything. That could be a bar. That could be a clothing line. I, I don't know. And I, I'm like a, a GoDaddy pimp. I will go on GoDaddy. If anybody knows GoDaddy.com yeah. where you buy the websites. And I grab drinkchamp.com and drink champs dot com mm. and then i went on you know twitter and ig and started grabbing up all the social handles and then fast forward a little bit more i'm then i started saying hold up we can name a pod the podcast that then i got my homie scam who's a legendary mc and artist who did the the cover art for uh tribe called quest beats rhyme in life he did the stuff for eminem you know the slim shady lp all the, yeah. all the, the artwork in there i mean he's done those that's two of a bunch of stuff that he's done and he had a joint with Eminem as well. Um, he did the, I told him, yo, I need, could you create something for me? He created the logo, which I think is iconic at this point. Mm -hmm. And then when, when that CBS radio deal came, Nori was like, yeah, that sounds big. Like CBS, he's like, that sounds big. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, well, well, I got the name, Drink Champs. I got the logo. And he's like, all right, let's go. And then that's, that's the birth of Drink Champs. No, nah, man, I, I, when that, when the pod first popped on the scene, and I was just, just from the logistics sound point, when I was just like, CBS, I was like, wow, I didn't even know CBS was into distributing podcasts and stuff like that. Right. So from the beginning, you guys have always been like kind of one, the first or some of the first on the scene to do different things in the podcast game to help people learn from y'all. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, and, and by the way, I remember this play.it was the name of the subsidiary of CBS radio. Uh, Weird name play.it and rap radar was there too. 
Yeah, you guys have been like you and Rap Radar have been like kindred we're, cousins. We're, through it's the, whole the return, way. Yeah, yeah, it's the return of, of, of us being label mates. Yeah, and you know what? I've got to yeah. say this quick, fast. Shortly after you guys started your podcast, I started mine back in 2017. Oh. As, as as an inspir- I was inspired by you guys, Joe Button. You know what I mean? We we're the most smoked out podcast, the world's most smoked out podcast, right? Okay, okay. It, it's become right. to the point where people are like, "Well, I don't smoke. I don't know if I can be on your show." I'm like. You don't you don't have to smoke, dude. Don't you hate that questions. <laughs> all the time, man. Oh, I don't really drink. You don't have to drink. We'll drink. Just don't mind us drinking. Exactly. Like I've seen multiple episodes of you guys with you guys with people who I know don't drink, and it was a great right. episode. Right. 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 Um, one episode though, I will have to ask about what Got happened it. to the yay episode, bro. All right. Let's see how how much of this I can dive into because it's it is I could make a documentary. <laughs> um, about everything that transpired <laughs> with with the Kanye episode. Yeah. Um, in short, to not make drag it on into too deep of a thing, and maybe I want to do a documentary, so I don't want to go too crazy <laughs> with it. But we filmed it on one day. Like Ye called, it, you know, Nori. He hit him up. He's like, "Yo, you know, I want to film with you guys um, tomorrow." Which is the same way the first Yay episode happened. He's like, I want to film tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, in the morning. So, you know, boom, we get Nori hits me. He's like, yo, you, you guys ready? We already knew, though, that he had already been kind of talking a little crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we knew it. Like, so, you know, we we both said, all right, you know, let's hear him out. But we, this is the thing. And, t- and, t- and we got to take emotions out of it. Yeah. You know, the way I looked at, you know, Yay, he comes in, he comes up with respect. He's polite. He treats everybody in the crew well. Like, like he doesn't come in with any kind of attitude. Like, so I'm gonna treat someone the way they treat me. And he came in there, and at the same token, I want to give someone the opportunity to, to to speak their mind. Yeah. Now, again, Dream Champs is not a political show. We're not, regardless of what Nori says, we're not journalists. You know, we're not trained journalists. We're really the show was built to 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 give flowers to to people and celebrate the culture. Mm-hmm. So. To dive into some of this political and and religious stuff, it gets, you know, for us, I think it's uncharted waters and we kind of really don't know how to handle it. So we had him on. We let him talk his piece in the beginning. We kind of let, you know, if you if you, you see how uh, Ye is, you kind of sometimes have to let him. He wants to get things out. Mm-hmm. You know, he he goes into these long winded rants. And so you got to let him stream. Of and we did. And yeah. And then and then I feel after a lot of the stuff that he just wanted to get out, then we had like more of a, as normal of a drink champs as you can with Ye. Yeah. In, in the, in the second half of the, of the episode. Now, what happens is, is that there's a piece of that, that was never supposed to be in the edit, which is the George Floyd stuff that he said, mm-hmm. you know, we already knew that was a no, no. He even knew I'm going to put that on there. Like he said, yo, take that out. Like he was just like going yeah, and that was supposed to come out. And it, our editors just, there was a mishap because it was being turned around in 24 hours. The episode, it was being rushed. So there's nobody checking it. There's yeah. nobody reviewing it. And the editor, there was another part of George Floyd that was mentioned just a, just a conversation. And he took that part out and he didn't take this part out. Mm. And so that's the part that goes viral causes a lot of uh, a lot of uh backlash rightfully so and then um you know our partners who backed us who put it out 
were like, you know, we're like, look, we would like to edit stuff out of it. And they were like, it either stays up or it comes down. It does, we're not going to, you know, edit anything because we backed you, you know, so it's like, so, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, there's just all these conspiracies, you know, that, that, you know, either the, the Jewish community told us to take it down or this, I'm going to tell you right now, none of that is true. It was drink champs that had to make the difficult decision that we knew that taking it down was not going to win mm -hmm. and leaving it up. We were not going to win. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we hurt George Floyd's family's feelings. And that was important to us. Like, it not, not, it wasn't important to hurt them. We did, we, we didn't mean for that to come out. And, and that was more important to us. Yeah. You know I'm saying that, that we'd actually hurt these people who had already been hurting and are hurting. And we said, you know what? Let's just, let's take this down, knowing that it's still kind of out there and on the thing, but officially drink champs, we are taking it down. And that's, that's what happened. Uh, you know, and I, I commend you, uh, commend you guys team on that decision. I think that was a good decision in the end of the day, in my opinion. Right. I, listen, in the end of the day, it's just the opinion of two podcasters, but like, right, right. I, I feel that it was a good decision to take it down because it's more trouble up than just not having it there in the first place. In my opinion. Right. I mean, there's, look, I understand every argument in the world, but ultimately at the end of the day, we took our own decision for ourselves. And it was more of a personal connection to, you know, knowing that the family was hurting and we wanted the, them to know it was from us. We're taking this down officially. And so that that's all it was. But then, you know, you have the conspiracy world saying, you know, the Illuminati <laughs> weighed in and yeah. took it down. And I, and I, I mean, I have heard crazy things, which I, I haven't verified that Google was going into Google Drive and deleting it for anybody that had it in their Google Drive. Wow. Anybody that had downloaded it. Now, I can't confirm nor deny that. I even heard Joe Rogan mention that specifically about drink champs about Google. I don't know. I'd, I'd never, you know, my thing is once all that craziness happened, man, I focused to the future and I let that, that's the past and I got to keep moving forward, you know, and let's, and let's do right by the culture and continue to do what drink champs does. We can't fix that. Let's move forward. Yeah, man. And, and you guys are important to the culture. We need y'all completely intact. No way canceled. You know what I'm saying? Continuing to right. give out flowers to our legends. You know what I mean? And, and, and just the last couple of questions I have here for you, speaking of legends, right? You guys, you've interviewed a lot of people and you've toured, you've done a lot, you've met a lot of people, but there has to be one time that you fanned out where you're like, Oh, absolutely. I'm at a loss for words. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I almost fanned out. A, I mean, a lot of times, to be honest with you. But mm -hmm. I would say there's been two main ones that I've I've fanned out on Ice Cube, which I, you know, and, I, and it's crazy because he was on the first time and it was a short interview because he was doing a, a promo run for a film and we caught him in Atlanta mm -hmm. and, and we were in a. We did it in a hotel room and his publicist was like kind of rushing us through the episode. But growing up, Ice Cube was my favorite MC of all time. You know, it was my favorite in NWA. NWA is one of my favorite groups. Him as a solo artist, one of my favorites. So to have him in front of me, I, I could say I was like nervous. That was the first time I was actually like nervous. Like, oh, damn, this is Ice Cube, the icon in front of me. And then unfortunately for me, we, we interviewed him again during Rock the Bells. But I, my flight didn't like it got canceled last minute, so I didn't make it. Damn. But Nor Nori was there on his own with Cube. And so Cube was one. And then the other one, um, 
Patty LaBelle, man. How yeah, can you not? The queen. How can you not? Like any anybody of that stature, like, you know, an icon like that, because, you know, if anything, you got to think about it. Hip hop is kind of like it's on the backs of these people that that have been there before. And even if they're not necessarily hip hop, but hip hop is built off of these, you know, icons and, and what they created. And so, man, and she's just it's like it's like history right in front of you. Living history. Yeah, man. I, I She was another one for sure. That's dope, man. Uh, listen, man, uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, there's just a couple of just off-brand questions that I have in my mind uh, for you as a DJ. Mm-hmm. Do DJs still break records, dude? In That's the- a great question. <laughs> From my, look, I don't think I'm qualified at the moment to really, really, really answer this because I'm not an active DJ like I used to be. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in media now. I'm, I'm doing, I'm an entrepreneur. I got my turntables right in front of me and I'm in my office and my turntables are right there, but mm-hmm. I'm not out there gigging and, 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 and making my living off of DJing anymore. But from my point of view and part of the reason why I, I pivoted from mainly DJing is because I feel that DJ culture as it was is no longer around. Yeah. You know, to me, the DJ w- is one of the most important components of hip hop. Um, and when it came to like the mixtapes, which I was a part of, you know, mix show DJs on the radio, the, the club DJs, I remember the time where you didn't question what the DJ played. If the DJ played it, you rocked with it. It had to be dope, mm-hmm. you know, where now it feels like the DJ is a glorified uh, jukebox. You know, and and as at the whims of of playlists and 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 has to play certain songs and you can go anywhere in the country and almost hear the same songs in the club, same songs on mix show. And to me, that's sad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I would love to go to another part of the country or another country altogether and hear stuff that's local to there that's popping um, or or flavors of hip hop that that just it just resonates in that area. And and I don't I don't get that as much anymore. And that's my point of view. I might be wrong. You know, yeah. I might be wrong that it's not as bad as it seems. No, I've asked a multitude of DJs this question. You know what I mean? As as a hip hop network over here in Toronto, we've talked to the breakers, to the DJs, to everybody. And I've asked this question yeah. and we pretty much get the same answer all the time. The Internet is is pretty much the breaker of records at this point. You know what I mean? Yep. No, it is. But listen, man, DJ EFN. I really, really appreciate you having this conversation with me. Um, I, I don't get to see a lot of interviews with you online when I was doing my research. I found a few, right? But I feel that right. this right here, we're gonna get, we're, we got a concise piece of content where people will get to learn about you and get to catch up on everything that you got going on. You know what I mean? Appreciate it, man. Oh, that train in the background, the Elliott train. What is oh, the that Elliot train? Is there a really, a, are you guys filming near a train station or something like that? Well, that's in the older episodes. Uh, I would say that was ye- around, no, that was probably around year one and two. Well, so when we, like I said, when we went to CBS, Rap Radar was there. Mm-hmm. And it was like this friendly competition thing with with Elliot Wilson and Rap Radar. And so when we started, we started filming at this spot that there was a train track next to it oh. in, in an area called Little Haiti in Miami. And we were filming there and a train would randomly come by. <laughs> and as a joke, 
it would usually come by at the most like like as, when we asked an important question or something and or or the guest was giving us a, a great answer and so we would say oh here's the elliot wilson train <laughs> coming to ruin our, our interview you know mm. they're hating on us i'm like literally like hearing the da, da, in the background i'm like what the hell <laughs> That was Sorry, I missed you. What'd you say? I, I would literally hear the bah, bah in the background yeah. of the tr- when I was listening in my um, earbuds. I was like, "There's, they must be filling an era train station or a track." Yeah, no, no, we got a kick out of that, and we 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 jokingly said, "Now that we're uh, label mates with a uh, rap radar again, you might get the return of the Elliot Wilson train again." I mean, we just might, you might have to just add it into the audio just because, <laughs> right, right, for sure. But yeah, man, uh, once again, thank you for doing this with us here today. And oh, you know what I forgot to do? Um, Salute to my sponsors, Astro Pink. If you know, you know. Check them out on their website, myastropink.com or on their Instagram, astro underscore pink. DJ EFN, man, much blessings to you and continued success in all of the things that you got going on. Crazy um, with with the crazy hood, uh, the 30 30 year anniversary more drink champs episodes on the way i'm looking forward to it man i appreciate it happy uh, hip-hop 50 to all of us and yes. uh and to the culture and, and man look keep doing what you're doing man i'm glad that that we were some kind of inspiration that's all i could hope for doing what we do yeah man thank you man we love hip-hop, love hip-hop.